welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Onion Radio News, Ring of Fire, Point of Inquiry, The Young Turks, and Counterspin. And also remember, please continue to vote at the podcast awards for the Best of the Left podcast in the political category. Jesus answers half the prayers at an area roulette table. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Last night in Atlantic City, the Lord Jesus Christ chose to answer the prayers of exactly one half of the gamblers playing roulette, reportedly blessing only those who bet on red. Critics of the prayer answering charged that the Lord arbitrarily dismissed prayers from those who placed their chips on black. Losing gambler, Tony Rogers. I thought Jesus is a guy who listens to everyone's prayers equally. This is bullshit. Christ's behavior is suspected by some to be an attempt to get a rise out of the Almighty Father, who has always favored the house. Doyle Redland for The Onion Radio News. to Ring of Fire. I'm Robert F. Kennedy Jr. here with Mike Papantonio. Behind almost every initiative that's been presented by the Republicans, the money trail will always lead right back to major corporations and religious organizations. The push for deregulation of FDA was funded by the pharmaceutical industry. The push for the war in Iraq was funded by oil companies and defense contractors. And the destruction of EPA was pushed by some of the largest corporate polluters in America. But this unholy alliance of corporations, religion, and politicians isn't unique to the Bush administration. It's an alliance that was actually forged more than a decade ago. Joining me now to talk about how the Republican Party became part of big business is author of the new book, White Protestant Nation, Alan Lichtman. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. You know, um... Uh, there's been a lot of great uh, – this is a, an issue that's interested me for a long time, and one of the first people to write kind of one of the seminal works about it is Richard Hofstadter's book, which is – it's what is it with the paranoid – The paranoid tradition, style. The paranoid style of American history, which goes back to the, to the 19th century and even before that and shows that there was always um, a, a, a group that, of, uh, of kind of fundamentalist Christians – who um, who were very who, who had kind of a a, 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 a paranoid uh, uh, fear of the United States government of outsiders that were extremely racist and xenophobic, but that they were marginalized throughout most of our history, and that at some point, um, particularly in recent history, that they 
devised ways of making money. One of them was through Richard Vigoray and Paul Weyrich, who helped run Barry Goldwater's 1964 campaign and developed the whole science of direct mail and left that campaign with a fantastic list that was then employed by these uh, these extreme right-wingers who were mainly white Protestant, Protestant Christians. And that was one source of access for funding. But their principal access has been these, these unholy alliances that they've made with large corporations. And a lot of that was actually engineered by Richard Vigoray. I mean, by Paul Weyrick, who got the, the initial money from Joseph Coors, the biggest polluter in Colorado, to start the Heritage Foundation and a lot of these other <clears throat> right-wing think tanks. But this goes back a long way. Ta tell us about some of the history. Yeah, this goes back a much longer way than conservatives want to admit. You know, conservatives want to argue that their origins are solely within patriotic anti-communism at mid-century and beyond, and the free market thinking of Milton Friedman and the Chicago School of Economics. They don't want to admit anything in their heritage that might smack of anything less than a respectable approach, as you note, to race, religion, nationality, and business self-interest. But in fact, my book, White Protestant Nation, shows that the origins of modern American conservatism go all the way back to the 1920s, to the crisis that followed World War I, when, as you point out, uh, these movements among uh, Protestants were not mainstream in the 19th century, they became extremely mainstream in the 1920s as uh, white Protestant Americans came to believe they had to defend their civilization against new immigrants from Eastern and uh, Southern Europe, people like my ancestors, uh, increasing assertions on the part of African American veterans for their rights, women's rights, the new morality. And there arose in the 1920s this major anti-pluralistic movement among Protestants that we could see so obviously in such movements as the boom in fundamental Christianity, the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, which was the largest grassroots political organization in American history with three to five million members, and of course, the boom in business defense of private enterprise with the development of the National Association of Manufacturers and its anti-union drives, the enormous increase in uh, business associations, the alliances between business associations and uh, Republican administrations of that era. And right. all of this came together at that time. And of course, um, corporate profit-taking is not an attractive vessel for populism. So the corporations that were kind of masterminding the Republican strategy understood that they needed more than just money. They needed political intensity if they were going to drive the political process, and they needed foot soldiers. And they were able to engineer this marriage with the right-wing Ku Klux Klan and these others to get Calvin Coolidge elected and Herbert Hoover elected. Absolutely right. Uh, my book argues that uh, to understand conservatism, you've got to understand it's a combination of the defense of white Protestant Christian values and the defense of private enterprise and the synergy and tensions 
between them. We know, as you point out, that in the 1970s, there were two main engines of finance for the enormous development of conservative infrastructures. You say the Heritage Foundation, but also the moral majority, the Business Roundtable, the Religious Roundtable, the National Conservative Political Action Committee. These were funded by grassroots small contributions pioneered by Dick Vigory, but as you also noted briefly, fundamentally the entry of these very major foundations like the Scaife Family Foundations, the Olin Foundation, the Smith Richardson Foundation, the Lilly Endowment, the Koch Family Foundation, and of course the Adolf Kors Foundation. Right. And every one of those foundations, if you look at their antecedents, is based upon polluter money, oil money, um, all of the big chemical money, money, chemical pharmaceutical money. Right. And that's what funded this. That's what's funded these right wing, 700 right wing think tanks led by the Heritage Foundation, the American Enterprise Institute, the Competitive Enterprise Institute that have orchestrated these the philosophical underpinnings of this new form of conservatism. And I want to examine exactly what the philosophy is in a moment. So tell me why, as a starting point, preserving secular government is so important to you. It keeps you up late at night. It wakes you up early in the morning. It, you know, you're, you're out there um, in the field. You're speaking on the campuses and to community groups, and that's your thing, preserving secular government. What's the big deal? The big deal is that human history has demonstrated, as Thomas Jefferson and James Madison pointed out in the 1780s, that the moment that government becomes the servant of a religious belief system, there is religious tyranny. For me, as a non-believer, I want to live in a society in which I endure no form of second-class citizenship merely because I reject supernatural belief systems. And the only way to do that is for government to be neutral in matters of religion. But it seems to me that you're making a bigger argument. It's not just about your rights as a non-believer. You're talking about the very fabric of our democracy. I'm saying that if government can in any way discriminate against any person based upon the belief or beliefs in matters of religion that they accept or reject, we have a religious tyranny. No one in the United States should have any less complete a set of rights because of either accepting or rejecting any tenet of religious belief. 
and so the view by four members of the Supreme Court that government should be able to favor religious belief collectively over non-belief would mean that government should be able to favor those citizens who harbor a supernatural belief system as against those who don't, and that would be overt discrimination. Mm. The most enlightened path to take is one where the government must treat believer and non-believer as fully equal. And uh, that enlightened path that you're calling for, you argue it has implications for a whole host of culture war issues, the kind of the big issues facing the electorate in this presidential race, things like gay rights, abortion rights, global warming, other topics. Some people might argue uh, it delves into the economic arena. We're not going to talk about that uh, right now, although people's pocketbooks are issue number one these days. Uh, how does the... Uh, the whole notion of preserving secular government, how does that touch on gay rights? P people really imagine them separate. You're saying they are part and parcel. What I'm saying is, and I like to call myself one of the most pro-gay rights heterosexual men in the country, <laughs> what I'm saying is that every single piece of offered legislation, like our Proposition 8 on the statewide California ballot, that would reban same-sex marriage. Every effort to deny gays and lesbians the same rights as enjoyed by heterosexuals is always motivated by religious beliefs. And so you never find a secular organization or a group of people without religious motivation attempting to deny equal rights to gays and lesbians. So therefore, if any law is permitted to cut back on the rights otherwise enjoyed by gay people, such a law is grounded in religious beliefs and is therefore unconstitutional. That is one of the crucial dangers in allowing religious doctrine to seep into the legal system. Religious doctrine like marriage is a sacred institution given by God to humanity. Only for men and women. Right. Because the notion that two men or two women cannot marry or should not be permitted to marry does not have any scientific or empirically demonstrable basis. The only basis for denying people of the same gender the equal rights enjoyed by opposite gender couples derives from religious belief systems and the law, if it functions properly, should not be able to take cognizance of that. No law should allow one to impose a personal religious view legally upon one's neighbor.
right now we're talking with author Alan Lickman, who's, who's written about the unholy alliance between white Protestant men, corporate giants, and, of course, the Republican Party. And, you know, we talk about these think tanks that were created by Richard Vigore and, and Paul Weyrich with money from the biggest polluters in our country, from the Exxons, from the Coors, and from these extreme right-wing foundations, Olin and Scaife and Mellon. Um, but, and they, they created a, an, a, an underlying philosophy for modern conservatism. They claim to be, every one of them, free market think tanks. But in fact, they have nothing to do with free market capitalism. Correct. It's really a kind of corporate crony capitalism. It's a very savage kind of capitalism for the poor overlaid by a system of socialism for the rich and corporations. My, and my, let's yep. talk about that a little bit. Yes, my book very explicitly argues that conservatism is not at all about free markets. Free markets is a veneer, a dispensable in fact, principle. In fact, they hate free markets. That's right. They, what they're they really don't... about is protecting private enterprise by any way they can, including, as you say, massive government intervention on behalf <laughs> of private enterprise. And that goes all the way back to the earliest days of the 20th century that I trace in my book, and it involves a host of measures, including low market grilling and drilling and grazing rights on public lands, subsidies, loans, tax breaks, guarantees to business. It includes, of course, much of American foreign policy, as we've seen in Iraq, on behalf of business. And it includes massive federal friendly regulation programs on behalf of business that go all the way back if you look at it to the 1930s, for example, the Connolly Hot Oil Act under FDR and the Democrats, remarkably, to pump up the price of oil by making sure that no oil produced in excess of state quotas can go into interstate commerce. A complete violation of free markets, but something that has been backed successfully by big oil, and that history continues. And there's a synergy between this defense of big private enterprise and, of course, the defense of white traditional values. In that, if we look what's going on today and what's going on a long time, is a lot of the flash and bombast and emotion has to do with the social issues, gay rights, abortion, feminism. But if you look at either the Reagan administration or the Bush administration or previous Republican administrations, they do little or nothing on those issues. They stir up uh, the grassroots, but the big money and the real policy goes to big business. Let's talk about the F word, fascism. Uh, the American Heritage Dictionary, at least the older version that I have, they've recently removed this. So this says, defines fascism as the, as a uh, as the coalition between uh, large businesses and government, the merger between state and corporate enterprises. Um, and, and indeed, the, the fascist uh, governments that we saw rise in Europe in the 1920s uh, were, were basically combinations of the industrial enterprises in Germany and Italy and in, in Spain 
and these kind of right-wing marginalized movements that didn't have a chance of, of purchasing uh, political purchase in the uh, political process. But all of a sudden, when they were funded by industry, they were able to gain enormous political power. This, you're, you're, you know, I'm not willing to say we have a fascist government, but you're, you're, you've really made a very good point about the merger between big business and big government. Again, rhetorically, conservatism is supposed to be about limited government, balanced budgets, fiscal responsibility, and states' rights. Yet we've seen the complete contradiction of that. Uh, in the culmination of conservatism in the Bush administration, in that this administration has built the biggest, most expensive, most intrusive, most business-friendly administration in the history of the country, disregarding and trampling all of those conservative principles. As far as states' rights is concerned, we saw the most blatant contradiction of that when the Bush administration quashed uh, attempts by California and other states to more stringently regulate uh, polluting uh, emissions from automobiles. We see that in the push for a uh, constitutional amendment on abortion or a constitutional amendment on gay rights, the trampling of States' rights. So all of these things that conservatism is supposed to stand for is being contradicted by this administration. And I was amazed when the story finally came out on the payoff to the oil companies from the Iraq War. No bid contracts to Exxon and Chevron and BP. It was buried in the back pages of the Washington Post. That should have been blazoned on the headlines. Here finally is the payoff for the war. Well, they, you know, you mentioned about states' rights, and I've always said that, that you know, they, they, they embrace states' rights. These so-called conservatives embrace states' rights um, only when it means sweeping away the federal barriers to corporate, corporate profit-taking at the local level. And I saw the way that they attacked Arnold Schwarzenegger. Of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger enacted the best uh, automobile emissions bill in 50 states, and he did it because... There were studies that showed that people, the children in San Bernardino had had 10 percent of the kids in San Bernardino and other California cities had permanent lung damage from breathing automobile emissions that will shorten their lives and hound them with poor health to the end of their days. And he said, you know, and the Democratic legislature agreed. Well, um, the federal standards are not protecting us with the car culture that we have out here in California. We need tougher local standards to protect the health of our people. But as soon as he signed that into law, Detroit sued him, which is predictable. And instead of defending California and states' rights, the principle of states' rights, the Bush administration joined the lawsuits on the side of Detroit, on the side of the corporations. Now, I see this all the time. I, I work on suing the hog industry, the big corporations like Smithfield that are destroying um, rural farms and, and rural economies in North Carolina, and the mountaintop mining companies, uh, like Massey Coal, Peabody Coal, and Arch Coal, who are destroying the Appalachian Mountains. Local people in those communities attempt to erect zoning regulations to block those activities, which are so destructive to their economies, their way of life, their prosperity. And as soon as they do those things, the first person they hear from is the federal government and the right. White House and Ted Olson saying, this is an interference with federal commerce. We're going to come down there and crush you. 
that's the end of conservatism, of traditional conservatism. It, yeah, the, the thesis of my book, White Procrastination, ultimately is that conservatism is heading up for a big crack up. That 2008 is likely to be a 1980 in reverse. If 1980 began the most recent conservative era with the election of Ronald Reagan, then 2008 is going to end that conservative era precisely because of all of these many contradictions between what conservatives profess to be their principles and what is actually going on in this administration. So we are looking at an historic election, but of course it's up to the Democrats now to step in with real alternatives to what's been going on for the past 30 years. And, uh, you know, they, they, you would think that this whole thing would collapse just because it's been exposed as such a fraud. You know, they've talked about fiscal conservatism, but they've run up the biggest budget deficits in the history of the world. They talk about uh, states' rights, but they, you know, they've trampled on states' rights. They've talked about small government, but as you say, They've, they've created, they've torn up the Bill of Rights, which they also is one of the foundations of conservative, the U.S. Constitution. They've done more damage to the Bill of Rights than any, any uh, government in our history. Wiretapping people, torturing people, suspending habeas corpus, etc. All of these things that were supposed to be the traditional foundation stones of conservatism have been simply thrown to the waterway, to, to, to the, into the trash heap. The only thing conservatism now represents, the only value that they're really concerned with, is corporate profit-taking. And, um, and you would think that, uh, that that would cause the system to collapse. The thing that worries me is that they have created this almost indomitable infrastructure of talk radio, of Fox News, of media control, that uh, makes it very, very difficult to penetrate with a progressive message or to get the truth through to the American people and expose, expose the fraud of this system. You couldn't be more right. A lot of my book is devoted to how they developed the most awesome and effective political machine in the history of the country, linked to the media, to uh, grassroots preachers, to the foundations to the business organizations, and it has become uh, very difficult, as you say, to get a real progressive message across. But I do think I observe out there a new fervor, a new spirit among progressives that I have not seen, quite frankly, in uh, many decades. You know, you got to go back a long time to find a real progressive president and a real progressive leader in this country. And I do think, uh, despite all of the advantages that conservatives have accumulated, we are moving towards the ultimate conservative crack-up and something new in American politics. Whenever God shine a light on me Open up my eyes so I can see When I look up in the darkest night Then I know everything is going to be all right In deep confusion and great despair When I reach out With him, your troubles you can share. You can share if you love. If you love, if you love the life you love, you get the 
A whale price feeds the whale masses with a single krill. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. In what many are calling a full-fledged miracle, Musu, the blue whale, who some call the whale Christ, has fed an entire pod of followers with only one tiny shrimp-like krill. Marine biologists are at a loss to explain how Musu transformed the small crustacean into the 40 tons of sustenance needed to feed his followers. One of Musu's disciples says it's all a matter of faith. This just in, Musu has been caught by Japanese whalers. However, he is expected to return to the water in three days, as predicted in whale scripture. Crazy, crazy world. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, in Congo, there rumor breaks out in the middle of a soccer match that one of the players is exercising witchcraft. That in the middle of the game, he's using witchcraft. So what happens? Panic. Everybody starts rushing out of the stadium. Because there's uh, one of the soccer players is obviously doing witchcraft. What are you going to do? Stay in the stadium? Of course not. Of course not. So they stampede out of the stadium. 13 people killed. Uh, three of them adults, 10 of them children. And, see, during the break, for reasons you don't need to know, we were talking about compounding your mistakes. Okay. And that, the original mistake in life, look, in life, you're, as I was telling Anna, here's Grandpa Jank giving you life lessons. Okay. Everybody makes mistakes. Tens, dozens, hundreds of mistakes throughout your life. If you think you're not going to make mistakes, you're crazy. That's not the way the world works. The problem isn't the original mistake. The problem is compounding your mistakes. Making mistake after mistake. Original mistake in this case, believing that a soccer player is doing witchcraft. Compounding the mistake is stampeding out and killing 10 children and 3 adults while you're stampeding out. I mean, what's the worst that happens? I'm always reminded of this one thing that I read in Newsweek from a regular guy. He wrote it in that My Turn section that Newsweek has where regular people write in. And he said he was in the military for a long time. B gets into his car. Whole uh, family panics. Oh, right? right, right. You remember this story? And they're all like, ah! And he's perfectly calm, and then he opens all the windows, and eventually the bee flies out. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, they're like, Dad, how could you be so calm? He's like, I learned in the military that the worst thing you could do is panic, mm -hmm. right? If a bee stings me, oh, well, a bee stung me. If I panic and I crash the car, we all die. So don't panic. Even if you think there's witchcraft going on, don't panic. All right. Now, uh, having said all that, the real point of this story is there. Witchcraft, really? Witchcraft. Millions of people all over the world mm -hmm. believe in witchcraft. Mm -hmm. They believe it's actually happening. And they're like, oh, no, watch out, that soccer player, he's too good. He's doing witchcraft. Right. I mean, think about that person. Think about all those people. It wasn't just one person. It wasn't just half the stadium. The whole stadium poured out. All those people were convinced that the witchcraft was going on. People believe crazy things. 
Think about all the insane rituals there are in the world. I was talking about that with my cousin this weekend. There was mm-hmm. one ritual he was telling me that he read about. I don't remember what group of people it was, but um, it's like some, you know, tribal group that takes, like, a fertile woman. Mm-hmm. And that sounds good so far. No, it's not a good story. And makes her have sex with six different men. Okay. Oh, okay, I don't see where this is and, going wrong so far. And the sixth man, as he's about to climax, okay, um, they have this net full of a bunch of debris, like rocks and bricks and things like that. As he's about to climax, they cause the net to fall down yeah. and kill them. All the debris kills them. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> After that, they... Uh, they eat them. <laughs> oh, but obviously. And I mean, I was like hearing about this ritual. I'm like, why do people believe in these crazy things, you know? But, uh, well, uh, but it makes sense. If you're the sixth guy on top of a fertile woman and debris doesn't fall on you, thereby killing you and allowing uh, the others in the group to cannibalize you, what are you really doing with your life? I don't know. <laughs> By the way, note to self, never be the sixth guy in a train. <laughs> I, I don't know where I even know those words. <laughs> I know. I'm surprised. Okay. Uh, make sure you get into the top five. <laughs> that's, that's, by the way, that's the original confetti, mm-hmm. where confetti goes wrong. I... <laughs> like, instead of confetti, why don't we load it up with, like, boulders and rocks? And then when we drop it on them, it'll get... And who's the fertile woman who signs on to this? <laughs> I don't know, but it's... I mean, it's I can that... grant her that she's having fun the first five times. Right, 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 right. If she is. Right. My guess is she probably isn't. It's probably not all not altogether that voluntary. Right. But people believe in crazy things, you know, crazy religious ideas that cause them to act stupidly. All right. Speaking of which, one of you, and I don't know who it is, and you're going to have to out yourself to me because I want to thank you, sent me Ken's Guide to the Bible. I think I'd heard about this from someone before, saying, oh, I should send you this thing. It's this guy who went through the whole Bible and noted all the funny, interesting, crazy things in the Bible, right? And so they sent it, and we get a lot of things at the Young Turks, uh, you know, cookies from Hawaii and mm-hmm. red jackets. The same day, we got a red jacket. Hey, since you want to show them that? Can you go grab that for a second? I tried it on. Whoever sent the red jacket, we really thank you. Way too small for me. I was Chris Farley, you know, fat man in a little suit. Uh, and then JR tried it in his... Uh, Shoulders are a little too broad for it. But eventually, uh, we found the right bear for it. Uh, and it's Jesus, and it looks badass. Look at this. He looks like Ron man, Burgundy. Look at this. No, he looks cool, man. I'm going to have to start doing the news or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally see him at a club like that. So thank you for the red jacket. And thank you for Ken's Guide to the Bible, because I've been reading it all weekend, and it's phenomenal. And you read it. And, Chair, I'm sorry, man. I got to do this. All the religious folks out there, I know there's a lot of religious people who watch the show, and I love you all, right? You know me. I'm about loving the religious but hating the religion, okay, which is two separate things. And if you're allowed to say love the sinner and hate the sin, I'm allowed to say that, okay? Uh, As I'm reading it, I'm like, no one's read the Bible. No one's read it. Because if you read it, there's no way you believe it. No way. It's not possible. I mean, there's a hundred things. I'll give you a couple, okay, just off the top of my head. At one point, mm-hmm. Anna, did you know that God turned on Moses? By, by the way, God's a flip-flopper throughout the Bible. He says one thing, and then he goes, ah, I changed my mind. Like, he's like, oh, I'll save you if you do this, right? And then the people of Judah or Judea or Israel or wherever it is, uh, whatever it happens to be called at the time, like, okay, they do it. And he's like, nah, I changed my mind. Pastorless, I kill half of you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, at one point, he turns on Moses, his best bud. And he says, ah, you know what? You pissed me off. I'm going to kill you. 
Right. You know how his wife saves him? How? She rubs the bloody, f- cut-off foreskin of his son on his feet. Okay, now you read that. How are you going to believe that? <laughs> now, how are you going to believe that? I don't, I don't understand it. You tell me. Because I don't mean just religious folks, because there's a lot of religious folks who aren't literalists. Mm-hmm. But the fundamentalists, the literalists, how, how can you possibly believe that if you rub your son's bloody foreskin on your feet, that God will change his mind about killing you? Can you please stop saying bloody foreskin? Bloody foreskin, by the way, is littered throughout the Bible. The Old Testament is one bloody foreskin after another. One time the people, uh, you know, the Israelites, uh, c- convince uh, uh, this other town that, hey, you know what, we'll do what you want or something. And they say, but only if they're going to give away some hot chick or something. Mm-hmm. But only if you all circumcise yourselves. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll circumcise ourselves. They do it. They're in a whole heap of pain. That's when they come in and murder them all. Verse after verse after verse, the Israelites murdering everyone in sight. At one point, they kill. Uh, uh, they, God says, go into this town. And it's always God who's telling them to do it. God says, go into this town and kill everybody in there, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, they're like, okay. They go and they kill everybody. And they come back and they uh, took uh, the women and the children as slaves, normal. Mm-hmm. And um, they bring them back. And God gets pissed. He's like, did I stutter? I said, kill everyone. He said, kill all the boys instantly, okay? And kill all the women who slept with any of the men, just in case there's, you know, I don't know, they're pregnant or whatever it is. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. He's like, kill them all. Mm-hmm. And finally, just the virgin women you can keep as slaves. Now, who reads that and goes, I'm on that guy's side? I don't know. No one has read the Bible. No one's read it, okay? Not the cute parts that you see in the... When you go to a wedding, love is not jealous, love is not this. Hey, it was even in Jesus' wedding. I'm calling you out, okay? <laughs> right? That's the only part of the Bible you ever... In fact, I said it to Wendy. I said, watch. He's going to quote the Bible. It's going to be the part, love is not jealous, love is not this. This is the only nice part in the Bible that I talk about that, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. If you read the other parts, you're like, holy shit, what the hell is this thing about? Right, right. Okay. So, that's my little spiel for the day. So, by the way, as we look down on the people of Congo, this is the reason I brought it up. As we look down at the people of Congo, we go, oh, witchcraft, how can you believe that? Rush out of the stadium. Well, look at the crazy shit we believe in. And, and as I read, as I, I'm, I'm going to start selling Ken's Guide to the Bible. I'm going to strike a marketing deal with him. Because as I read segment after segment, I think, you know what, uh, the whole abortion and gay rights thing, I mean, you know this, but it really sinks in as you read the whole thing, is a total fraud. It's a political fraud. Because as you see God saying, murder him for this, murder him for that, if he, you speak out against your parents, murder, adultery, murder, everyone should be murdered for everything. Okay, The death penalty is the most common law there is. Everybody gets a death penalty. You think, hmm, out of all of those, why did they pick gay people to pick up? That's curious. It doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. How come there aren't right now, you know, amendments about murdering all the people who commit adultery? The adultery amendment. How come there aren't stone your listen, little as, kids to death amendments? Listen, as long as we say, you know, sorry and we repent for our sins, that's what Jesus died for. You know, I mean, we, get just a load say of that so- too. we say sorry and, you know, God forgives us. That's the whole purpose of Jesus. All right. Unless you're gay, in which God, in which case God will exactly. never forgive you. Of Did course. you know? All right, one last thing, and then I'll call it a day. Okay. Uh, Solomon broke the first commandment. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever touched. Why Solomon in the Bible? King Solomon, wisest guy, right? 
Uh, at one point, he changed his mind and decided to pray to another god, Chomesh. Oh, really? Yeah. Chomesh. I, I believe it was Chomesh. Another god, and God, there's a lot of gods in the Bible. People don't talk about this either. At one point in the Bible, God loses to another god, mm -hmm. the god of the Israelites. He's like, oh, man, I didn't see that coming. He, because the other king mm -hmm. sacrificed his firstborn son, sacrifices all over the Bible, sacrificed his firstborn son to this other god. And it turned out that other god was more powerful than the god of the Israelites. Mm -hmm. Why aren't we praying to that guy? <laughs> I mean, so don't judge the people of Congo too harshly. It, when they look at us and they go, they picked the gay guys to hit on, you know, to pick on in the midst of all this in the Bible? They picked abortion. Abortion's not even in the Bible. There's a million things that are in the Bible. Abortion's not even in it. And these guys, their whole, their entire election circles around these two things that are one, either a tiny part of the Bible or not even in the Bible. In fact, abortion, all right. You got me worked up. They, we've got our whole political system based on a lie, an absolute lie, and no one ever challenges them in the mainstream media. Do you know there's a part in the Bible that says if you think your wife is cheating on you, go make her drink some sort of dirty water at the temple, and if she has been cheating on you, her uterus will fall out. Oh, God. <laughs> so, but that seems pro-abortion, doesn't it? I guess. Yeah, because that if she was cheating on you, and she's got a baby inside her, and she drinks the dirty water, it gets aborted. The Bible is pro-abortion, right? That segment is. Mm -hmm. That verse clearly is. But wait, wouldn't the husband be having sex with her as well? So. Who cares? She might have cheated on you. Let her uterus fall. <laughs> but hey, don't worry. If it turns out she didn't cheat on you, the dirty water doesn't affect her. Oh, okay. Okay, so the people of Congo, I pardon you. <laughs> okay, we're all just as crazy. I'm a new soul. I came to this strange world hoping I could with the great theological questions of our time, you're not alone. So is Fox News Channel host Bill O'Reilly, who told USA Today recently that he has proof of the existence of God. The success of Bill O'Reilly. As he put it to the paper, quote, Next time you meet an atheist, tell him or her that you know a bold, fresh guy, a barbarian who was raised in a working-class home and retains the lessons he learned there. Then mention to that atheist that this guy is now watched and listened to on a daily basis by millions of people all over the world and, to boot, sells millions of books. Then, while the non-believer is digesting all that, ask him or her if they still don't believe there's a God. Close quote. It's hard to know just what to say about that, but for the sake of argument, I suppose one could say that the success of Bill O'Reilly is not proof of God's existence, more like the opposite. Or, if you prefer, proof that God is really, really challenging our faith.
Numbers, Judges, Deuteronomy, Exodus, Leviticus. Just pick it up and read it, man. Just don't believe me. Look, I always say this. Don't trust me. Do the, do the research yourself. It doesn't take a lot of research. Just pick up a Bible and start reading. Uh, and, you know, and I'll quote, just because I remember this one, from Genesis, it's an easy one. Uh, it's, and it's kind of funny. Um, and I got it from Ken's Guide to the Bible, and I've read Genesis myself, so I, it's all backed up. You know, uh, and I had never thought of it until I read it in the book. God creates light on the first day. Let there be light. Mm-hmm. Right? On the fourth day, he creates the sun and the stars. So where does the light come from? What, did he have a lot of light bulbs around before then? <laughs> you know that our God also, I believe this is also in Genesis, God loses a wrestling match to Jacob. <laughs> How does God lose a wrestling match? <laughs> but I like that God's a wrestler. <laughs> Al Frank is a wrestler. God's a wrestler. Mm-hmm. I'm a wrestler. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> I wonder if God's into ultimate fighting. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of the Bible would indicate that he certainly is. Uh, all right. Now, enough, uh, you know, picking on the Christians. Uh, before we move on, I want to pick on the Muslims. In uh, England, they've started, they found this interesting loophole that uh, they are taking advantage of. Uh, if you agree to arbitration, you can settle a lot of things, um, well, certainly a lot of civil issues, uh, through uh, any kind of system that you like, basically, almost. And what they've done is... Uh, a lot of Muslims have decided, hey, we'll agree to arbitration, and then we'll have Sharia law, Muslim law, decide the outcomes of our domestic disputes. You know, uh, does this guy owe this guy, uh, the other guy money? Uh, has there been domestic abuse? What should you do with the kids, etc.? And now, I believe uh, Mail Online here, uh, which is a British publication, uh, says that 33% of Muslims in England are using this system. If I don't have my, I believe I have those numbers right. First of all, England's got to draw the line. I, I, I get it, and there's some value in it. Apparently, uh, Jews have been doing the same thing for 100 years in England. Uh, I think it's a you know, fairly bad idea to begin with. But they've got to draw the line on certain things. Domestic abuse cannot go into that system. You can't be like, hey, yeah, I beat my wife, but earlier we had uh, signed an arbitration agreement that it would be decided by Sharia law, and Sharia law says sad day for her. No, 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 sad day for you. You live in a civilized country, and your ass is going to jail if you beat your wife. So, I mean, look at this. You can't see it, but look at this, Anna. I mean, they have a picture of a Muslim woman and her child. They're all covered in the veil. The kid must be suffocating in there. They already got her ass covered up. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sharia law. I mean, if you think I'm mad at the Bible, wait till you get a load of me in the Quran and Sharia law. I had this guy, a uh, Turkish guy, obviously, email me over the weekend. He's like, you know, sometimes you're really good, but when you talk about the Bible and the Quran, it is very disrespectful and you lose all logic. Logic, my ass. Okay? One of the other things about Sharia law, they're going to come talk to me about logic? You're going to talk to me about logic. Sharia law says, if you and your brother... Uh, if your dad, dad passes away and he's going to leave money to you and your brother, by law, he must get twice as much as you do. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you buying into that? Definitely not. That's funny. My brother would buy into that. But. <laughs> Armin's like, yeah. All of a sudden, Muslim's not so bad. Right. That's not acceptable. That's insane, yeah. It's not acceptable. And, and we're so, no, no, no. Have deference. Have deference. It could be witchcraft in Congo. It could be Sharia law. It could be, yeah, be respectful. Are they being respectful to the women who are getting their hose under these deals? No, they're not. 
All right. Go ahead, JR. Go ahead, Reverend. I was, I was trying to go ahead and let this. I know you end. were trying really hard. I noticed it. To let it go, but he couldn't do it. But you didn't stop. So, um, okay. The point is, whenever you talk about anything like this, it has to go to what's the point of this? I, I don't know how many more times it has to be said. What's the point of we've been talking about it if it's not something that's actually happening today? I understand the whole thing when people are trying to implement things on laws on abortion and everything like that because that's for real, and that's what affects people's lives right now. And this this uh, thing about beating your wife and allowing that to happen because, oh, pff, Muslim, swing, uh, ring that up, now I'm going to beat her ass. All that's understandable. Let's have beefs with that. Who cares that somebody wrote all that time ago that God had a wrestling match with somebody else. And because God people said, believe in it. But what are they doing with it? Oh, they're they coming to your face and saying, I can wrestle you because I'm God. Have you run into somebody like that yet? No, I'm but saying, what's the point? Crazy... I'm just saying, what's the point? Now, in Congo, they ran the hell out of there because they thought that soccer player was, uh, was practicing witchcraft. That's something that somebody needs to calm down about because 13 people died. What happened to somebody because we're, we're talking about how some people believe in some stories Stories from the Bible that probably want to tell somebody something else. That's what the whole point of having someone read it, put it in, and then, and then come out and tell you an explanation for what they think it's trying to teach you. Not about, hey, you know what, by the way, um, somebody told me that, that, that uh, Muslim, I mean, not Muslim, Moses got into a fight or and he pissed off God. So that means when you leave church today, you should go and start getting the fights, people, because you can call yourself more. I'm just whatever. I, mean, I don't even know how you can even connect it. It's pointless to even talk about it. Right. It's a waste of time. It's a fair question, and I will answer it thoroughly. Okay? Number one, uh, we talk about the witchcraft because don't stampede out of a stadium. You're going to get people killed. Number two, don't do the Sharia law because uh, women are going to get beat. And that doesn't, by the way, Sharia law doesn't say beat your wife. But in Sharia law courts, they often excuse it. In fact, in all the cases that they studied in England there, not all of them, but the ones that they studied for that story, every single one of the punishments for the beating of your wife was, don't do it again, you are a bad man. Okay, now go ahead, go away, right? No punishment at all, none, right? So that is something very specific that we've got to fight against. Now, JR, of those two things, of the three things, those two and what I talked about the Bible, what I said about the Bible is a million times more relevant. Why? Because United States of America, the largest and most powerful country in the world, the sole superpower, and we're run by madmen who believe in fantasies that don't exist. So not only do these fantasies not exist, but they get twisted into things that aren't even in the Bible to lead everybody to vote in a direction. Dave was talking about today Sarah Palin's in Colorado. And everybody's like going nuts over, ah, Sarah Palin, we love her, ah, Sarah Palin, right? Okay, now why are they going nuts over Sarah Palin? Because Sarah Palin says, I believe in the same fantasies that you believe in, right? And uh, I believe in the same made-up stuff about the Bible that you believe in. And so even though uh, abortion is not in the Bible, uh, I'm going to say that it's the most important issue, and all of you nuts are going to vote for me based on that, okay? And then furthermore, I'm going to tell you that I hate gay people, even though God hates a thousand different people, but we pick gay people because we really hate them, and we want to focus on them. And I know you all commit adultery, and you all swore at your parents, so I don't want to pick that. I want to use it for a political purpose. I want to take this document and this book, and I want to use it for a political purpose to trick everybody and to gain control over the most important country in the world. Now, JR, you think that might be relevant? I find that highly relevant. Too bad you didn't talk about it. When every time we talk about it, it's a fine conversation. But we're not talking about that. We know that the whole abortion thing is used by politicians. We know the whole gay thing is used by politicians. 
Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's pointless to talk about people's just little stories inside this big-ass book written by people. Written by people who were politicians back then, too. Guess what? Politicians are just as old as everything else in this world. They were there, too. So people who truly believe in every little thing is written in there and takes it and just does and, and mimics it. Yeah, the prop. Okay, now, if, if, if there's an outbreak of people rubbing their son's foreskin over somebody's foot and that, that guy who was sucking the tips of these guys after he had circumcision, that's worth talking about because guess what? That's infecting these little kids with some kind of disease. These are things we're talking about that are in real life. So if we talk about fake life and then act like it's actually connected to real life, we're just as stupid as these people who believe in everywhere. No, no, Jay, I have to disprove the whole religion. And the reason I have to disprove it is because our political system is based upon a lie. And that lie is Christianity. Okay? It's that simple. And Islam and Judaism, they're all lies. No Moses existed, let alone one that had foreskin rubbed on his feet when God flip-flopped his decision whether to kill him or not. It's all made up. It's fairy tales. Once you understand that it's fairy tales, we head down... We head down a far more logical path. We head down a much more secular, reasonable path. But, the, but if you accept these fairy tales as true, and right now all of the mainstream media, no one ever challenges it because it would be disrespectful. Okay, If we accept these fairy tales, then we lead down a dangerous and silly path. It's the path that Bush goes down. It's the path that Sarah Palin goes down. It's the path that all these fundamentalists go down. And it doesn't have to be just Christian, as I told you, Muslims, Jews. It's the fundamentalists that ruin this world, that get us in the war after war after war. And there is nothing more relevant on a daily basis. I, the only reason why I don't talk about it on a daily basis is because it, it's not something I can solve in the next 45 days before the election. Okay? And what it's going to do is it's going to get you in trouble because it's going to get religious people to get defensive. I know how it works. Oh, but I gotta tell you the truth anyway. That's what we do. Guess religious people would be defensive and pull up a wall and go, Oh yeah, no, no, I'm gonna believe the tales. I'm gonna believe the fantasy. Screw you, I'm voting for the dumb guy. And you you know, you said old politicians who wrote this stuff a long time ago, JR? I wonder if John McCain was there. Thanks for listening, everybody. Just a few quick notes today. I know it. You know it. The American people know it. The podcast awards are still going. Mark your calendar. Set your alarm. Do whatever you need to do. Vote every day between now and November 6th. Your help's greatly appreciated. Second of all, uh, something I haven't mentioned in a long time. I've just, you know, lots of stuff's been going on. I've been talking about lots of different things, and I've totally neglected to talk about the listener clip submissions that help keep this show going go to the website check out the link at the top of the page called find and send clips that is uh the lifeblood of the show listeners go there's uh, super simple instructions on how to actively go and find clips that you like that you find interesting on the topics you want to know about and that gives you the chance to pick what kind of content goes into the show it's a fantastic system it uses a third-party website called everyzing.com they have a, an amazing search system that actually allows you to search using text but to search through audio archives of you know a wide range of political shows 
and you know they do lots of other stuff as well but of course we're focused on the political stuff so check that out if you haven't or even if you have uh you know everyone who's been sending in clips it's greatly appreciated it really helps the show and you know it helps the show when you hear that clip that you sent in get played on the show uh you know that that you're helping out so uh, i really encourage everyone to get involved and and it really helps us keep going and finally, election night is coming up, and we at the Best of the Left enjoy doing kind of live coverage of big special events like this. And the way we do it is, the, is you know, the same way we do just about anything else. We steal it, uh, you know, with permission, I guess. Uh, from the Young Turks, we steal their live video feed of their coverage of, of what's going on, and, uh, and we post that on our website along with a chat room, and then all of our listeners can come watch great progressive coverage of... Uh, of the event and then chat with friends from the show so election night coverage planning to go for nine hours straight from 5 p.m eastern till 2 a.m eastern so you know if you want to check out uh, the website anytime during that period we plan on just carrying the young turks live feed uh, for the entirety of their show and uh, and you'll see on our website big button just says to go to the chat room and and the video is in there so if you plan on being at home during the election go ahead and turn on the computer and uh and have us be part of your election night coverage fun party extravaganza so that's it for today coming to you from inside the beltway yet outside the border and conventional wisdom of washington dc my name is jay and this has been the best of the left podcast coming to you from bestoftheleft.com Black and white You took a part in picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor